Good evening and welcome to the last night of our gospel meeting. We're grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, we want to extend to you an invitation to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. We're very grateful for the number of visitors that have been in our midst throughout the week. I do appreciate Brother Jason Hilburn leading our prayer tonight. We're glad to have him and his family in this area working with the church at Nesbitt. And we are very prayerful that the work there will continue to grow and flourish. And we believe that the work there is in very capable hands. And so we're very thankful for him and his family. And we're grateful for you. And we're grateful for the opportunity that we have tonight to listen to another lesson from the Word of God. I was thinking about what I could say about Brother Mosier tonight. Just about run out of superlatives. And so I thought, well, I'll just say he is young and dynamic. <laughs> He's been wanting me to say that, and so I thought, well, I'll just be accommodative tonight. I guess I could throw in good-looking, too. <laughs> but nonetheless, we are very thankful to have Brother Mosier with us tonight. We appreciate the lessons that he has presented this week. And let me just very quickly inject that the lessons have been recorded. If you would like a copy of any or all of the lessons, all you have to do is sign the uh, sheet out in the foyer, and those lessons will be provided to you uh, free of charge. And so we want to encourage you, if you would like a copy, and I would, I would certainly encourage everyone to get a copy of the lesson last night on the home. And it was, a, it was just a great lesson. And I think that all would profit from listening to that or listening again to that great lesson. So at this time, I will now turn uh, the services over to Brother Mosier as we uh, come to the end of the road in our gospel meeting. Certainly, we're grateful to Brethren Kathy and Jacobs and White for the invitation to be with you this week. I am so grateful for the work they're doing here and their desire to build this church, which is evidenced by the fact that they invited our students to campaign. And I'm grateful for these fellows. They seem to have behaved themselves all week and done a great job. And uh, they always do. I'm always proud of them, proud of the work they do. I usually go out with them. But I've been having too many other problems this week, and I couldn't do it. But you did all right without me, did you, Matthew? Sort of. Yeah, you did did fine. Grateful to Brother Hickson for that statement about young and dynamic. I want you all to remember that from now on. Did you hear that Yankee say you all? I've been down here too long. Haven't I? But I'm, I'm so glad Mike's here. He's a real Christian gentleman and I know you're glad to have him with you. But he does a great work wherever he goes. Proud to call him brother and to be associated with him. He even had the temerity one time to come over and attend some of our classes, but that was third-year program, I believe, at that time. But I've known, I don't know when we first met. 91? I knew it had been a long time. But you're a young man, so you don't have to worry about that young and dynamic stuff. I'm glad you're here tonight. I told some of the students if we go one more night, we'll empty the auditorium. But I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know something in the midst of this society in which we live, given to pluralism and relativism, you can know something for sure. You can know when you're saved. 
No doubt about it. Look at John 8, 31 and 32, for instance. Jesus said to some disciples who were following him, if you continue in my word, then, and I might add only then, are you my disciples indeed? Watch what he says. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. Hereby do we know that we know him because we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous according to 1 John 5, 3. In fact, we show our love to God by keeping his commandments. Therefore, we need to know how to do it. And you can know when you're saved. 1 John 5, 13, John actually says that. He said, I write these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. I remember hearing someone say one time, Brother Mosher, you can't know you're saved until you die. I said, then I don't want to die. I won't take a chance like that. Well, the Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I said, well, you ripped that one out of the context. It has nothing to do with knowing whether or not I'm saved. It did have something to do with knowing uh, whether or not God was with me. And when I start thinking like that, I might fall. But we can know when we're saved. That's why the Bible was given to us. I think some people think that Jesus went back to heaven, turned around and said to those 11 men on the side of Mount Olivet, Okay, fellows, make it up any way you want to. Start any church you want to. Do it any way you want to. I came down here from heaven. I went through all this suffering on the cross and this humiliation, but I don't have any commandments for you. And actually, that's exactly the way the denominational world looks at it. But I want us to know before we leave tonight whether or not we're saved. Look at John 6, 44 and 45. And brothers and sisters, this is exactly how I teach someone the gospel sitting at a kitchen table. Here's something every man must do. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Therefore it is written in the prophets. What's written there? They shall all be taught of God. Therefore every man that hath heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. Did you notice he said that in order to become a Christian, you have to be taught? It's not the case that you're going to have a feeling tonight about whether or not you should be a Christian. There's not going to be some kind of bolt of lightning come from heaven itself. There isn't going to be a convulsion. It's not going to be an emotional event. It's going to be a, the fact that when you're taught the gospel, you have the choice whether or not to obey it or reject it. The emotion comes from obeying it and knowing that now I really love God. That brings on the emotion. But so many today appeal to the emotion of men. When T.B. Larimore preached, he was so emotional in his preaching that people would often cry. When they did, he wouldn't offer the invitation. He didn't want them responding out of emotion. He wanted them to understand what they were doing. They had to be taught correctly. Look at the... Uh, book of Acts with me for a moment, and the chapter is 19. If you're taught incorrectly, you cannot know you're saved correctly. In fact, you can't know whether or not you were baptized correctly. You can't know anything if you're taught incorrectly. That's the problem. 
Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, We have not heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. He said, Unto what then were you baptized? Somebody taught you wrong, they said, unto John's baptism. He said, John baptized, calling on the people to believe on the Christ to come. Now when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here were people who were taught incorrectly. What did they do? They immediately heard the correct teaching and fixed the thing. We have people today who are taught that they are saved before they're ever baptized. My friend, if you were taught that, you're just like these disciples we read about here in Acts 19. You were taught incorrectly. You need to hear the correct teaching and obey it. Those disciples immediately knew what to do when Paul said, you've got a problem with your baptism. You weren't taught correctly. It takes the right kind of teaching. You remember when Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing and teaching them? He told the 11 to go out and teach. What? Everything I've commanded you. Everybody who comes to Christ in the correct way is first taught correctly. Otherwise, there isn't any way for him to approach the master. So from the Great Commission itself, we learn that Christianity is a taught religion. You have to be taught. But you have a choice. Look at John 8, 24. You have a choice. If I teach you that Jesus of Nazareth walked on the face of this earth, from the historical evidence, we know he was here. And if I teach you that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and you might want to know what the evidence is for his resurrection, just ask yourself where the body is. Where's the body? Who has it? Well, the Romans came and took it. Had they taken it, they would have produced it and defe uh, defeated Christianity right at its start. Well, the Jews took it. Same thing. They would have produced the body and said, you Christians are worshiping a dead God. And if the disciples took it, they did something that's incredible. They went around and died saying he rose. Where's the body? So I teach you that this is a resurrected being. Will you accept it? Notice John 8:24 now. Wherefore I said unto you, you shall die in your sins, for except ye believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. You have the choice tonight to believe in this Christ. Or you can reject him. It's that simple. But he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes. What's that mean to believe? Well, you're believing some facts. He died. He was buried. He rose again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Well, if you believe that, what must you do? So that you can know you're saved. Well, you must do what Paul told us. And it's recorded in the 17th chapter of Acts, the 30th verse. In terms of the fact that there is a Christ sitting next to God now. And the judgment day could take place at any time. God now commands every man, everywhere to repent. And here's the hardest command in the New Testament. It is that command which keeps most people away from the Christ. 
In fact, a lot of folks don't understand what it is. I've heard preachers that didn't understand what it was. What in the world is repentance? If I believe that he's the Christ, I'm called on to repent. The denominations teach that backwards. They teach John's baptism. John taught repent and believe. Why? He was talking to Jews who already believed in God and were in covenant relationship with him. And so he could tell them, repent toward God and believe on the Christ to come. I can't preach that. That would be preaching incorrect teaching, and you wouldn't be taught correctly, therefore you couldn't be saved correctly. So I teach it the way it's taught in the Great Commission. You believe, now he calls on you to repent. You believe in the Christ who's already been here. Repent. But what in the world is repentance? Look at 2 Corinthians 7.10. From the King James Version, for godly sorrow worketh repentance, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. I want to drive a peg here and explain this verse. You might want to underline some words. The first word repent there is the word we're studying. For godly sorrow worketh repentance, not to be. Now the second word translated repented means not to be regretted. It's the Greek word for regretted. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Well, if godly sorrow works repentance, then godly sorrow is not repentance. And it's not the sorrow of the world either. The sorrow of the world is, I got caught, now I'm sorry. That will not work with God. What works with God is godly sorrow. And that, that is that which causes the proper repentance. When a person has decided that he has offended God Almighty, he has hurt God Almighty, and incidentally when you hurt God, you hurt him infinitely. He's an infinite being. That's why sin is so terrible. Any sin against God has infinite consequences. And we need to take care of it so that we don't suffer the infinite punishment that comes from doing that to an almighty God. And so there's something called godly sorrow. I found out I'm a sinner. I have offended the most powerful being. I need to repent. But what in the world is repentance? I've heard preachers say that's when you turn to God. Absolutely not. You don't turn to God in repentance. Look at Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19. From the American Standard Version, the King James says, Repent and be converted. Well, the verb there translated be converted is an active verb. It means to turn. We, and the American Standard has repent and turn. Well, if I'm repenting and then turning, those are two different acts. Parallel to Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. The turning takes place in baptism, not in repentance. But what is repentance? Jesus explained it one time, Matthew 21, beginning at verse 28. And he explained it very clearly for us so we would get a hold of what this is. It's the hardest command in the New Testament. It's worked by godly sorrow. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He said to the first, he gave him a command, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. 
for 44 years, I have stood in pulpits and watched people like this boy tell God, I will not. I don't care what the Bible says. My preacher says that, so I will not. This boy, however, as he walked away from what his father told him to do, must have begun to think about what a good father he had. And that father's sorrow, that, that impetus to do what his father told him to do, started to work on him. And the Bible says afterward he repented and went. Did you hear what that young man did? He changed his mind. And every time you read the word repentance in the New Testament, that's exactly what the Greek word means, to change your mind. I know what the Bible says, but change your mind, my friend. Repent. On the day of Pentecost, Peter speaking to a people who had been in the crowd that had crucified the Christ. He said, you took him and with wicked hands slew him. They said, what will we do? He said, change your mind. Stop thinking that way and do what God tells you to do. My friend, if you're willing to repent tonight, and incidentally, this isn't my subject, but the churches of Christ in this decade need a lot of repentance. We have stopped winning souls, brothers and sisters. We need to get back to it. And that's going to take a lot of thinking on our parts. We used to be a people that just irritated the neighborhood where we lived until they got fed up with us, but it didn't matter. We were baptizing them, weren't we? I love to drive into a small town and go to the gas station and say, do you know where the Church of Christ is? And if that guy says to me, yeah, they're the ones who think they're the only ones going to heaven, I know they've been working. Sometimes I drive in, though, and they don't even know where it is. And that, makes, that breaks my heart. If you're willing to change your mind, here's the first command God gives you. Look at Romans 10, 9 and 10. He tells us in these two verses to, that with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. But what am I to confess? Here is the blessing, one of the great blessings God has given us. On an occasion when Jesus was in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say thou art John the Baptist, Elijah, Zechariah, one of the prophets. But whom do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the mouth confession. That's the thing we're supposed to say, that we believe he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. We must open our mouths and say that. Timothy professed a good profession before many witnesses. He was not ashamed of the Christ. And we always ask a person before he goes on to the next step, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? But what is it you're confessing? You know, the denominations try to tell you to confess your sins. You don't have the right to confess your sins when you're not a child of God. And you don't have the obligation to confess your sins when you're not a child of God. And I'm thankful for that. 
I was 26 years old before I was baptized into Christ. I couldn't have remembered all the sins I committed up to that point. He didn't ask me to confess my sins at that point in my life. He asked me to confess him as the Christ. That's your confession. That's the good confession. But what are you confessing? Go back to John 8:24 now. Wherefore I said unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am... Now in the King James Version of the Bible, the he is in italics, telling us it wasn't in the original. I like to read it without that word he in it to get a sense of what he's teaching. Wherefore I said unto you, ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. Did you realize that that confession was that you believed that Jesus, in that human form where he got his feet dirty, was God on the earth? He's the second person of the Godhead, not any less than his own father, because he and his father are one, John 10:30. Look at John 5:18. We have to understand what the Son of the living God means, what that means to us when we confess it, and what we're actually saying. You know, in our society, if you say someone is the son of another person, we think of the little son and the big father. That's the way it is in our society. Somehow the son is less than the father. Not so in the Hebrew society. If you said someone was your son and you're a Hebrew, you put him on inequality with you. That's why the Jews sought to kill Jesus. Not only had he broken the Sabbath, but he made himself the son of God, making himself equal with God. That's how they thought about it. Well, what am I supposed to confess? When you confess that he's the son of the living God, you're confessing his deity. You're saying, I believe that that person who walked on the earth 2,000 years ago was God in the flesh. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you, John. Now we know who he is, the second person of the Godhead. When Barton Stone preached, he would teach his listeners that Jesus was a created being. John said he always existed, John 1.1. 1, 1. I know that I need to believe that and confess it, but not just before I'm baptized either. I need to confess that all of my life. I believe he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, equal with the Father in his deity. Well, if you are willing to confess his name, then the next step is not hard at all. Look at Mark 16, 16. He that believe and is immersed shall be saved. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Baptism is a burial. Look over at Matthew 28, 19 a moment. Jesus said, Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Baptizing them. Some folks are prone to think that sprinkling is baptism. Let's put, it, put the word sprinkling in there and see if it fits. Go ye therefore make disciples, sprinkling them. Now how would I go about sprinkling you? Cut you up into small pieces, you see. The, word, the verb won't fit there. 
It, it, it can't fit there. I can't sprinkle you. It, it had to say something like sprinkle water on them. But it says to do it to them. So sprinkling won't fit in that verse. Well, we'll pour the water. Okay, let's put pouring in there. Pouring them. Boy, if they melted me down, it would be a big glob, wouldn't it? You can't do that with the word. The word says to baptize them. And we know that the word baptizo means to dip, to plunge, put somebody underneath the water. Why? He's emulating the burial of Christ and his resurrection. Baptism is always an immersion in the scriptures, never anything else. When the eunuch was baptized, they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. Why did they both go down into the water? And when they come in, came up out of the water, why? Why is it pictured that way? Because it's an immersion and overwhelming. When uh, Paul was writing about the Jews crossing the Red Sea, he said they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud, overwhelming up here, and the sea, overwhelming on both sides. They were overwhelmed in the experience. That's the experience all of us need to have. We need to be immersed in it, all of us, giving our whole body to him. That's baptism. But why do I do it? Look at Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, in order to the remission of sins. Peter's very specific. Repentance and baptism are in order to remission of sins. The word translated to or for there, I mean, is A-C-I-S. It's used in the Bible to mean movement toward or location in. It never means anything else. You have a good example of it in the 21st chapter of John where Peter and John run to the tomb and they look ace into the tomb and then they ace the tomb. They go right into it. You, when you're out here in the world and you have not been baptized correct, taught correctly and baptized correctly, you're not in Christ yet. Why is that? Look at Galatians 3, 26 and 27. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When I'm baptized, I'm baptized into the very death of Jesus. Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Why did he tell us that? Because it was in his death that the blood flowed, and it's the blood that takes away my sins. And the only way to contact the death of Christ is to be baptized into him. So many wonderful things happen when you're baptized into Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Stop a minute. What did you say, Paul? We're all baptized into one body. You told me I was baptized into Christ. I was baptized for the remission of my sins. Now I'm in a body. What in the world is the body? Look at Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He's head of the body, the church. Oh, so I'm baptized into the church. Which one? The one you can read about in the New Testament. And the Lord does that adding to the church, Acts 2.47. He never makes a mistake. If somebody is talking to you about joining a church, he's not telling you what the Bible says. If somebody says to you, we've got to vote on you to get you into the church, he's not telling you what the Bible says. I'm a member of the church of Christ wherever I go. Why? I was baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. 
I am now, in fact, the church of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. I'm sorry, wrong chapter. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. I am a, You know what I hear my brethren do sometimes? It's sad to me when they do it. Uh, is, are you a church of Christ preacher? You ever heard that expression? That's the language of Ashdod, brothers and sisters. That's denominational language. You and I are the church. We are the body of Christ. Church of Christ is not the name of a denomination. It's what we are. I hear people talk about Church of Christ camps. Ain't no such animal. And Church of Christ animal uh, colleges, there ain't no such animal as that either. We need to learn what that expression means and appreciate it. In fact, some of my brethren are now coming, becoming embarrassed by that name and taking it off the sign in front of the building. And they're putting up community church. They're so ashamed of the phrase Church of Christ. But that literally means I'm married to Jesus. I'm his bride. I am the Church of Christ. A lady called me from Michigan one, on one occasion years ago. She said, I cannot find a place to worship up here. There's no church up here. I said, ma'am, look in the mirror. She said, what are you talking about? I said, look in the mirror. You're the church. Oh, I am? I said, yes. Go down to the grocery store and get some unleavened bread and some fruit of the vine and start. And she did, and they got about 18 members in a few weeks. Where did we ever get the idea we had to... How many of you are Sunday school teachers? What would happen, Mike? This would be interesting. This would be a good one for us. If some elders called us one day and said, we want you to come preach for us, but we don't have any members. Just come on and start the church here. That's what the Lord did. He told those 11, get out there and get your own members. But if we Sunday school teachers, we want a class already built, right? So suppose I walk in one day and the elder said, come on, Keith, we're going to take you down the hallway here and show you your class. And there's nobody in there. What do you do then? You do what we're supposed to do in the first place. And we have forgotten it for decades now. When he made me a Christian, when the Lord planted me as a Christian, he expected me to produce Christians. When the Lord planted me as an elder, he expected me to produce elders. When the Lord made me a minister, he expected me to produce them. Because I am the church of Christ. And so are you, if you're in the body tonight. We are God's people. Look over at Ephesians 1 with me a moment. When you walk out of here tonight, I want you to be... Super glad that you are a member of the body of Christ. In fact, Paul wrote the Ephesian letter to get us to understand that. And in this chapter, he says there's three things that God wants us to know. This is in verse 18. 
He wants our eyes enlightened that we may know what the hope of our calling is. We were called by the gospel. The hope is heaven. He wants us to know the riches of the glory of his. The word inheritance translates a Greek word which means trophy. When we were one to Christ, we became a trophy on God's shelf. We are one of his trophies in the battle with sin. And not only that, not only do we have the hope of heaven, we are one of God's trophies, but there is an exceeding greatness of power working in us. We are the church of the living God. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. Entrance requirement. You need to be taught correctly. Believe he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Confess it. You need to let someone immerse you in water for the remission of your sins. There's one other thing you need to do, though. You need to take seriously this commitment you made. Paul said that we should present our bodies a living offering. That takes repentance. And I think I'm going to talk to my brothers and sisters for just a minute to try to get you to stop being a church member and start being a New Testament Christian. I don't know the words to do that. That's my problem. But there's a huge difference in that mindset. And if we could think that way, we'd start taking this old world for the Lord again. We'd get back to doing what we were supposed to do when he made us his children. And that's teaching others. The gospel is yours while we stand, while we sing.